This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Hey everyone, it's Sid Evans, editor of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. We're taking a quick break this month, but we'll be back with season five on February 20th. Today, I wanted to reshare an award-winning episode with Hoda Kotb, who is a talented author and one of the co-anchors of the Today Show on NBC. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. And in this episode, I'm talking with someone who's best known as one of the anchors of the Today Show on NBC. Hoda Kotb was raised in Morgantown, West Virginia, but she also spent plenty of summer vacations visiting family in Egypt, trips that gave her a unique perspective on the world. She worked as a local reporter in small towns such as Greenville, Mississippi and Fort Myers, Florida. But it was her six years at WWL in New Orleans that led her to fall in love with a place that now feels like a second home. Hoda talked to me about her best friend, Karen Swenson, who just wrote a story about her in Southern Living, the baklava recipe passed down from her mother, and the way her father's untimely death in 1986 affected the course of her life. All that and how she finds inspiration in every day on a very special Biscuits and Jam. Hoda Kotby, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Sid, I can't believe I'm on with you. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. The last time I saw you, we were in New Orleans doing a photo shoot for Southern Living, and you were dancing with a jazz band on the street (laughs) at about nine in the morning. Can I tell you something? We found my happy place. You know what I love about that? First of all, we're dancing with a jazz band. And don't just say me, Sid. There were others participating. I think you might have been in that number. But what I love is like people come out of their houses. People are walking down the street carrying a croissant going, oh, what's happening here? It was such a fun shoot and just a fun day with you guys in what is arguably, I think, the best city on earth. It was so great, and it just felt like an impromptu street party, you know, that just sort of formed, (laughs) as happens in New Orleans. New Orleans is all about spontaneous. When Karen and I were in the car and we were riding to meet you guys at City Park because we were going to do another part of the shoot, we were rolling up and we were at a stoplight and we looked up and there was a balcony and it was full of a bachelorette party. And we unrolled the window and we waved and they were like, girl, get up here. Me and Karen left the car in the street, ran up the stairs onto the balcony. It was only a 15-minute party, but it was fun. And I said to Karen, I forgot how much I loved this, the spontaneity of that city. (laughs) I remember at the end of the shoot, you bought beignets for everyone. And I've got to think that those are a little bit hard to come by in New York. You know what? Unless you get the beignet mix and figure out how to make them, forget it. What's the closest thing? I don't know, a Krispy Kreme? There's not really anything even close, but there's something about that city. And a beignet, when you think about it, it is crunchy, it is sweet, it is warm. To me, it's all the things that the city is. It's comforting. It's almost chemical. You bite into it and you're like, oh my God, my body. (laughs) The city does that too, to you, I feel like. It gets inside. But you know, you got to eat it right there (laughs) because I took some back to Birmingham and I'm telling you, they don't travel well. No, 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 no. If they're not still warm, if you had them in your car all the way to Birmingham... Forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Hoda, I want to talk about New Orleans more in a minute, but before we do that, let's talk about mm-hmm. where you're from. Mm-hmm. So you were born in Norman, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and grew up in Morgantown, mm-hmm. West Virginia. What is the place that feels most like home to you? It's so funny because I don't remember much about Oklahoma. I loved Morgantown, West Virginia. You know, the kind of place where you were playing kickball in the street and someone would yell, car, and everyone would step off the street for a second and get back on it. It was that kind of a place. And it was the perfect place for a childhood. And it was when everything was free and easy and you felt, everyone felt safe. But I have to say, when someone said, where are you from? I was always like, well... We grew up in Morgantown. We moved to Virginia, but I don't know that any of them felt quite like home to me. And I didn't know that they didn't feel like home until I got my job in New Orleans. And that was a life-changing moment. You know, it's like when you know, you know. It's like when you meet the right person, you know. You're like, I dated three other people and I love them too, but no, no, no. When you know, you know. And New Orleans was kind of just home for me. Do you identify as a Southerner? Yes, I do. And when I think about it, a lot of my jobs were in the South. I worked in Mississippi for a while. And I feel like I just fit in the South more than I fit anywhere else. And, you know, I often wondered when I left New Orleans to come to New York, how could I ever do that? I don't have the constitution to survive New York City. I just didn't think I had. I thought you had to be hard to make it in New York. I realized subsequently you really don't. But at the time, I was like, how am I going to make it? How could I do it? How is it possible? But I do feel the most at home in the South. You know, as someone who lived in New York for almost 15 years, I think being from the South prepares you for that city in so many ways, you know? How do you think it does that? Just being polite opens a lot of doors. Just, you know, having the manners and... The way you interact with people, that kind of warmth, I think it actually works really well in New York. I think it's funny. I think whatever you put out comes in. I've always sort of felt that way. If you come to a city, no matter where it is, and you think, oh, I've heard people here are X, Y, or Z, you'll find it. It's like when I ride down a street in New York, I feel like my whole thing is like, fix your gaze. Where are you looking? No matter what your circumstance is, I could be driving to work and on the right-hand side, there can be some sad scene. On that side of the street, there could be an older man and someone is helping him cross the street. It's like, fix your gaze. And I feel like that's how everything in life is. Where you look is what you're going to feel and believe. And if I told you in your office, like, oh, everybody is like X, Y, and Z, you'll probably find it. It's like that Henry Ford quote. He says something like, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. It's like everything's in your brain. And I feel like New York has shown me that the best of New York is in front of me all the time. I seek it out. When people say, oh, New York, aren't you scared? I'm like, I'm not. I take the subway every day. I take my kids on the subway. And I meet nice people. (laughs) I'm not going to, you know, do anything stupid, but they're really nice people. So, you know, I think part of it is fix your gaze. Absolutely. So, Hoda, you had a pretty remarkable childhood. I mean, your mother and father were from Egypt and they immigrated to the U.S. And you spent a lot of summers in Egypt as a kid. Grandma's house was like the place to be. 
you know, when we were like, what are you doing all the summer? We're going to grandma's. And we we're like, so we didn't know it was a thing until we came back and someone's like, it's my dream to go to Egypt. We're like, oh, the ticket was $300. <laughs> I guess the world shrinks when your parents are from another country. It becomes very small because you realize, oh, in seven hours, you can be somewhere totally different. And when you're around people who don't see it as such a huge accomplishment to fly on a plane and get off the plane, you just see it as Wednesday, then it becomes Wednesday to you. But what was that like going from West Virginia to Egypt and then... Back again? You know, not everybody in sixth grade was doing that. Yeah. We'd go for the summer and they said, what did you do? And we said, we went to see our family over there. Did you go to the pyramids? We rode a camel. But I think at the end of it, most places are not so much the place, but who you're with. I think I found that in most places I've gone to and visited and lived. It's like, after a while, you're not spending the summer at the pyramids, you know? You're eating at your grandmother's house and you're going to go see your cousin and you're doing all the stuff that anyone would do no matter where their family is. You have a couple of moments that you do something really cool, but mostly it's the same old family stuff. People are fighting just like they are everywhere else. Right. You're just hanging out with your aunts and your cousins and yeah. It's just a big hang. It just takes a long time to get there. <laughs> so Hoda, I want to ask you about your mom and... You've done some really fun cooking segments on the Today Show with her, and we always talk about food a little bit on this podcast. Tell me a little bit about her cooking and what some of your favorite dishes are. Well, you're going to laugh because my mom always worked since we were kids. We were like latchkey kids, like a lot of kids were then. So she and my dad would go to work, you know, in the morning and come back at five. So the way that she would cook during the week, when we got old enough, it was your cooking and dinner should be out by the time we get home. That was the drill. And my mom cooked very basic, good stuff. But her signature dishes, the things she made that made us go like, oh my God, she made baklava, that is to beat the band. Wow. Like if you've ever had baklava, no, you haven't. Okay? I just want to say, no, you haven't. My mom makes it and ships it to the Today Show to this day. She makes it, puts it in Tupperware, calls her friend from the UPS store. He comes to get it from her house. She ships it here. I take it to work at 4.30 in the morning. I distribute it to the control room, to our crew, and to Savannah and all those guys. And my mom goes every time, did they like it? What did they think of it? They liked it. Was it good? Was it a good batch? Not as good as the last one. I go, it was delicious. But it's her dish and it reminds me of her and I've watched her make it. It's like thin layers of phyllo dough, honey-soaked walnuts, another thin layer, love. It's like thin layer after thin layer after thin layer and she cuts it on the diagonal and now she's in her 80s and she's making that baklava. And every time she makes it, Roker is like, get mom on FaceTime, Sammy. He's like screaming at her. She's giggling like she can't 
contain herself. But her signature baklava may be my favorite thing she makes because it's sweet, it's lovely, it's her language of love. Her language of love has always been food, you know? Do you like me? Eat this. It's like, okay, you know, (laughs) that's kind of just the way it is. But she makes that and she made some excellent grape leaves too. That was another thing she made a lot of that I remember as kids just lapping it up. Otherwise, we ate pretty much what everyone else ate. What were the holiday celebrations like in your family? Always a blast. It's like when you come from another country too, it's just interesting. We always celebrated all of the big holidays in our house, but it was never like a signature dish at Thanksgiving or Christmas. We just did our dishes and had the holiday, but we always did a turkey. We always did the mashed potatoes. We always did all the goodies. And for Christmas, we always have a very special dinner, always open a present on Christmas Eve, just the usual kind of stuff. But when you come from two places, I think it's so beautiful to be able to just celebrate. Yeah. So Hoda, you went to Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. What are some things that you loved about that town and that school? I fell in love with Virginia Tech the moment I went. My sister went before me, and then I went, and my brother went. We all were like a train going there. And it was secluded in a way. Blacksburg is a tiny little town tucked away in Southern Virginia. And I think there was just a feeling of being away from it all. I really loved everything about it. There was a place called the Cascades where I would go and escape if I needed it. I felt like you were always close to nature and in the middle of it. But deep down, when I think about Blacksburg, when I was a a junior in college, it was a life-changing moment for me. You know how sometimes your whole college experience is sort of defined by a single moment? And mine was, I was at a sorority formal. I was a tridelt, I'm a tridelt. And my brother walked in, who was a teak. And I remember thinking, oh my God, my brother and his friends are crashing our formals. That's so crazy. And he had this look on his face. And I remember I was looking at him and I thought, what's he doing here? What's going on? And he said, come outside. I have to tell you something. And I said, what what do you have to tell me? I said, just tell me now. And he said, come outside. And I walked outside and he said, our dad died. And I remember it so vividly and clearly because my dad was like the beacon of fitness and health. He played tennis. They worked out in the gym, he and my mom together. You know how you have a before and after moment? That was my before and after. And so the rest of my college time, I have really thick glasses. I can't see very well. And I wear contacts. I didn't, I took my contacts out. I was listening to, at the time, a Walkman. And I just kept it on the whole time and just kind of wandered through the last year and a half, basically. And so it was a beautiful experience in the beginning. And then one that was really difficult and life-changing, but it did show me something, taught me a lot of things. One was, I remember I was sitting in a classroom and the teacher was talking about this quiz and I was staring and I just looked around at the class and everything seemed meaningless. So I sort of got up and I took my backpack and my teacher said, where are you going? If you don't take this quiz, you're going to fail my class or something. I just didn't even say one word. I just took my backpack, I put it on and I walked out. And I could hear footsteps behind me because one of my dearest friends in the world, her name's Peggy Fox, picked up her backpack and left with me. And I remember I could feel her walking behind me. I didn't say anything. And I walked right to the duck pond, which is this beautiful place. And I sat on a picnic table and she walked over and she sat there. 
And she didn't say a word. Just sat there. And I didn't say a word. We were both sitting there, and I realized in that moment, and then I finally turned to her and I go, are you kidding? Did you just fail that class with me? And she she laughed. She said, who cares about that class? You know, but anyway, it reminded me that sometimes it's not what you say. Life's about showing up. Most things in life aren't about what you bring, what you have in your pocket, what present you bring to the party, what you bring to the hospital. I don't have a gift to bring. It doesn't matter. Like the only thing that matters is showing up. And I was like, show up for people and everything will change. I'll never forget that gesture. And it was small and, you know, she might've forgotten it, but I didn't. It really was a big life lesson. Wow, that is a friend. Yeah, yeah, it's a real friend. So you've gone on and had this incredible career, none of which your dad got to see. Hmm. What are some of the things that he left with you, some of the gifts that he gave you that have enabled you to to have this this career and this success? I think he was a person who was to me larger than life. I used to have dreams that he was the vice president of the United States. Real dreams. And he couldn't be the president, I knew, because he wasn't born here, but I knew he could be the vice president. And he always wanted to be in charge of something. And he had his doctorate degree in petroleum engineering, and he ended up opening a company called IPCS. It was called International Petroleum Consulting Services. And he did incredible stuff. And it said president on his card. I remember I was like, he did it. He actually was a president. But I think he showed us, he showed us possibility. I always imagined that I could because he did. And I think if you've ever lost a parent young like that, most of us, I think, kind of want an add a girl that's not coming. You know, you just keep going and going. And sometimes you're tired. I often wonder if you were alive, maybe I would have thought, Well, Fort Myers was a great place to settle down. What a beautiful job and what a great city. But instead, it was like one more, one more. Is that enough? Is that enough? So I think he sort of is pushing along, even though he wasn't here. And I think that you realize at some point that that girl's not coming. But he did leave me with an incredible work ethic, an incredible kind of not expecting always expecting things to go your way and to bounce back. Because I think I'm just good at not stopping. There are a lot of people who are better at these jobs, but I think if you don't stop, you end up somewhere that you didn't imagine you'd ever be. So I often think about him, what he would think about all of his kid, the shy one, the middle one, the one who people didn't quite remember. Use your playground voice. We can't hear you. They used to say to me in school, you know, what he would think of that. (laughs) And probably was like, man, wow, what happened there? (laughs) But I do feel his presence a lot. After the break, I'll talk more with Hoda Kotb about some of her best times in New Orleans and her side gig as an author. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, 
comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with journalist, author, and music fan, Hoda Kotby. So Hoda, I want to turn to New Orleans and talk to you about that place and, and what it means to you. When I saw you down there, you had a really funny story about showing up at the airport and you guys went to a place called Super Popeyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can you tell me that story and what was your sort of first impression of New Orleans after that? Yeah, I was on a job interview at WWL-TV, which is the powerhouse CBS affiliate in New Orleans. And I had just gone on another interview in Minneapolis and it was freezing and it was very bank-like to me at the station. Everyone was like heels clicking and everyone's very polite and in the lane. So I get off the plane in New Orleans and I was thinking, I can't wait to see this place. And there literally is a jazz band playing at the airport like as if you're flanked by jazz players. I was like, oh my God. And people were giggling and laughing and putting on Mardi Gras beads. I was like, what is happening here? Is this what they do at the airport when people get off of planes? I was looking around. I was just sort of dumbfounded, enjoying it. And through the crowds of the airport, there's this woman running at me. She has really long crystal gale hair and her name was Gail Gidry. And she's like, are you Hoda? And I go, yes. And she like wrapped her arms around me. And she goes, I am Gail. Come on, girl, let's go. My car's outside running. I don't want to get a ticket. I was like, I love Gail. That's all I could think of. I already knew right then that that was going to be my place. So Gail drives me in her car to the station. And a guy named Joe Duke, the news director, who's just all get out, funny, amazing. He's like, hey, girl, you want to go get some dinner? We were there and the newscasts were wrapping up and we had broken a story and beaten all the other stations. So they opened up the mini fridges and started pulling out beers and were cracking them open and passing them around. That's a good job. And everyone's toasting. I'm like, oh my God. So he goes, come on, let's go get some dinner. And we're driving and he stops at a super Popeye's. I'm like, this is real weird. We are going through a drive-through for dinner in New Orleans. Oh God, what's happening? And so he goes, we'll take a couple of two-piece dinners. And I was like, okay. He goes, you like salt on your margarita or not? I go, what? (laughs) He goes, salt. I go, no salt for me. All right, one with salt, one without. And he hands two margaritas through the drive-thru. He goes, got to be careful about sticking your straw in. City council's passed a measure that you can have it, but you're not sure if you can be sipping it. I was like, what's going on here? This is amazing. And we went straight to the French Quarter. We ate the chicken and drank the margarita and walked around the quarter. And I fell madly and passionately in love with that city. (laughs) So, Hoda, I was doing some research for this interview, and I came across a clip of you when you were at WWL, and your hair was a little bigger. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, you had had jobs in Greenville, Mississippi, and in Illinois, and in Fort Myers, Florida. What was different about covering New Orleans? New Orleans has every single story that you could ever imagine. New Orleans prepared me for the network because 
It had the politics that were insane. It had incredible stories of rich culture. It had crime stories that I had never heard before, you know, plot twists that you couldn't make up on a dateline. It had everything. But more than that, to me, the city was full of soul. And there was an insecurity to the city to me. Do you like us? Do you like it here? I was like, who doesn't like it here? Honestly, if someone does not like New Orleans, I probably would not get along with that person because how do you not like this city? But I think there was just something magical and there was a vulnerability that I hadn't seen. A city council member would break down in tears over something that was very moving. All these really tough guy male chefs were emotional. They didn't mind being that way. Everyone's hugging each other. Their hearts are outside. Everyone lives their life so protected. But in New Orleans, it's like, hey, baby, how are you? Hey, girl. It's like your chest is cracked open. And I feel like that city lays bare all of it, the good, the bad, and everything in us. And so I was just a student. I was a student of all of it. And it was the best education I think I ever had. Mm. So the story we did was written by Karen Swenson, who you often refer to as your best friend. Talk to me about how y'all met and why there was such a connection. Karen is gold. She is part saint, I think. I think she's part angel. She has an acerbic wit. So don't let her fool you. She comes off as okay, but then she'll turn around and let one slip out of the side of her mouth. It'll have me dying laughing. We met in New Orleans. I think I was doing one of the shows and she was new. She had just been hired. She was kind of an intern, but was really, really super smart and wanted to learn. But more than all that, when you meet someone, if you know, you know. Chemistry is chemistry. When you meet someone, you're like, that's my person. I don't know why that's my person. That's my person. And I think we both felt that way. We were neighbors. We lived next to each other. We dated friends. Like we had all this, just a really fun, wonderful relationship. And I knew when I met Karen that she was going to be my lifelong friend. And since that day that we met, we've been through breakups and passings, and highs, and lows, and all of life's changes, adoptions, and births, and everything. And there's nobody like her, because she just would give everything away. Here's an example. I'm in New Orleans with Karen a few months ago, and we stop at the off-ramp on the highway, and there's a woman standing there. She needs help. So we unroll the window, give her something, and as we're driving off the ramp, Karen and I look at each other, And she nods at me and she makes a U-turn. And she says to the lady, what's going on here? You okay? She said, oh, I was a teacher and then this happened and this happened and now, but I'm okay, I'm good, thank you. She said, what do you need? What do you need? The woman said, well, I'm staying in this hotel. I just, I was a teacher and then this happened and that happened. Five minutes later, the woman's in the car. We're driving to Walmart. We have a list. We're checking it twice. This is Karen on Wednesday, random Wednesday, Every day is Wednesday for Karen. And so we go to the thing, we move her from here, we get this. All this stuff is happening all before we go to the airport. She was dropping me at the airport. And when it was over, I said to Karen, wow, that was a really special day. And to her, it was Wednesday. So that's who she is. She's the best of humanity. I think she knows she'll always be safe and in good hands because that's how she lives her life. Hmm. 
Well, I know y'all had plenty of good times in New Orleans too. And um, I got to ask you about Jazz Fest. I've never actually been. I've always wanted to go, but it just seems like the peak of fun in New Orleans, especially if you love music. Did y'all have some fun times at that? Sid, unspeakable fun. No, first of all, you have your beverages, you have the stages, you can hear any kind of music, daytime, nighttime. We're kind of daytime music people. We're like Jamie Lee Curtis. Give me some daytime music, okay? I'm not really 100% into the late night concerts. So I remember it was pouring rain and the place was soaked and a lot of those stages were still playing and Karen and I were in it, in the mud, laughing. Like there's nothing like it in the gospel tent. It is my favorite place to be. If you love music and you love New Orleans food, and it's funny that it's called Jazz Fest because I think there might be some jazz. I've never seen it. (laughs) I've never heard jazz. I'm sure it's there. You know, there's some tent that does that. But every tent is different. It's got everybody. It's got Ed Sheeran. It's got The Boss. It's got Aaron Neville. It's got Irma Thomas. It's got the New Orleans favorites and all the rest. But there's nothing like showing up in your flip-flops, in shorts, rolling into Jazz Fest, going, oh my God, who is that singing? Let's go. And all of a sudden we're Googling her. How do we not know her? She's only 16. You know, we're finding out where she's going to perform next. Let's get some crawfish etouffee. Let's go over here, get another cocktail. And by the time the day is half done, you are bathed in it. Beautiful music, delicious food. The sun's on you. You're sweating because you're dancing. You know, it's like what perfection is to me if you want to let go. So living there for six years like you did and going back a lot, is there sort of a transporting music experience that you remember that stands out? Well, I mean, to me, the music of New Orleans is everywhere. When I come back, the songs like Mardi Gras Mambo and the things that remind me of being in New Orleans on Mardi Gras Day just follow me. The way that musicians do their thing there, it is effortless. And I'm just so surprised that more of them aren't known by all of us by their first names. So here's the thing. We're going to Jazz Fest. Jenna and I are going for the show. And part of the reason is shine a light on people who've been incredible musicians in New Orleans for years. You may not know them by name, but they've won Grammys. You may not know them by name, but when they get on a stage, all of New Orleans wants to see them. We're like, we love you, Ed Sheeran, but I want to see me some Irma Thomas right now. She's on stage one. Or Wanda Ruzan, I need to see her. So one of the things I love about this job is you get to do that. Like, we get to do that. So Jen and I are going to cut loose. We're going to take off our news corsets and we're going to go crazy, okay? So you might want to put away your iPhones. It's going to be scary. So Hoda, you've interviewed a lot of musicians on the Today Show and you obviously love music. Who stands out as some of your favorite interviews that you've done? When you interview a James Taylor or someone and you realize as he's sitting in the chair, he says right before the interview, I'm nervous. James Taylor is the soundtrack of my childhood. And you just realize everyone has their own form of communication. Or Stevie Nicks, who just like lets it go. Or Beyonce, who comes on and you expect like this booming voice. And instead you hear someone who's kind of soft-spoken and you realize, wow, you're kind of a quiet individual in life, but on stage you're fierce. The same with Carrie Underwood. Sometimes when you're interviewing her, you're like, what, huh? And then you see her on stage and you're like, whoa, (laughs) 
<laughs> just recently, Jody Messina, who is a country singer whom I love, sang some songs that helped get me through breast cancer when I was sick many years ago. There's one song called That's My Life, and it's a beautiful song. And I played it over and over when I was going through stuff. So I go down the stairs of Studio 1A. I walk downstairs, and who is standing there but Jody Messina? She's on one of the other hours. And I looked at her, and we locked eyes, and she goes, oh, my God. And I just wanted to weep for an hour because it was this woman whose music held me and protected me and sort of saved me. And there she is standing there. And she looked at me and I just, it was a moment. Music is all by itself. When you can see a Jody Messina or a Zach Brown or a Thomas Rhett, who I adore to the end of time, or Walker Hayes, who sent me flowers just because he's a nice guy. I keep thinking, I can't believe that this music gets to be in my life and I actually get to meet the people who sing it. I feel really, really, really blessed. Mm. So Hoda, you went from doing news. I mean, you spent time in war zones and you've covered all sorts of disasters. I mean, the works. To doing something much lighter on today, but you're also providing something to people that has a lot of meaning and a lot of value. What is the most rewarding part of your job? You know, when I was doing all the hard news stuff in Afghanistan and Iraq and all those places, I think I always felt, to be totally honest, that I was putting kind of a circle in a square. I don't know if it really fit. I did it and I worked hard and I was afraid, just like a lot of journalists who do it. But some journalists, it's in their blood to do that. And I learned a lot. I was very happy to do it. I learned so many things. But I think at the end of the day, the lens that I see the world through is I sort of walk on the sunny side. And I think back to what we said at the beginning, like fix your gaze. I don't think my soul was able to do what a lot of really incredible journalists do, and that's look at horror and report on it over and over and over again. I just don't know that I have the bandwidth, if I'm being totally honest. But I think one thing that I do do that maybe is my contribution is to be able to say, but look over here. There's something really great over here because sometimes the difference in someone's day or how they're feeling emotionally is just turning your neck this way. Oh, there is something beautiful. I want to look at that. So I'm not living in la-la land. I'm not ignoring what goes on. And I ingest it and I do know about it. But where I'm going to fix my gaze is not there. So I feel like maybe that's why I'm doing this job. It's just to remind people that there's something good over here. You know, I'm keeping my eye on that over here too. I'm not ignoring, but let's not let that get all of the attention. Let's not let the bad stuff get all of our attention. Let's realize that we only have one life. So how are you going to live it? What are you going to look at? How are you going to wake up in the morning? And so I try to choose joy. Well, and you do a lot of that with quotes. Mm -hmm. And you wrote a wonderful autobiography, but you've also come out with several books of quotes and you've written about inspiring people. Mm. What does writing do for you as a creative outlet that you don't necessarily get from your work in television? 
I think it gives you like a place of quiet because think about how the days go. It's like a mad dash, isn't it? It's like you sprint, sprint, sprint. And when you're writing and working on a book, you have to hit the brakes. You have to hit pause. You have to make space. You have to reflect. You have to think about things that maybe haven't crossed your mind in forever. And there's something that's just peaceful about it. And sometimes it can be hard and sometimes it can be totally and completely inspiring. But I think when you feel calm inside, and I try to find that each day now too, but when you do that, it's amazing what flows out of you, you know? And here's the thing about writing too. You write when you experience things. I think the idea of cranking things out is difficult. So I wrote that autobiography, but the quote books were good because it wasn't my story. It was everybody's story because I can only live my life. I can't live your life, Sid. I can't live all these other lives, but I want to know what you know. I want to learn what you learned. So I may not be able to walk your walk exactly, but I sure do want to hear. I feel like it just gives me a place to grow. And I also think we think we have a bandwidth of how much we can ingest, how much love we can take in. And I actually think your heart's ability to expand is beyond measure. So I think that when you meet an interesting person and write about them, there's room for that. And I try to make as much room for that as I can. You posted a wonderful quote on Instagram the other day, and it said, here's to strong women. Mm. May we know them. May we be them. May we raise them. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of strong women in your family. Mm -hmm. You're clearly a strong woman yourself. Mm. How do you pass that on to your daughters? My daughters are strong women already. You know, my daughter, Hope, had a health scare, but she's getting better. But I think I didn't realize how much is already in you when it comes to your strength. To watch her go through a difficult time at just three years old is really tough for any parent because you're helpless. But I think you realize just how incredibly resilient and strong she is. She's teaching me, which is so funny. We think we're teaching them. I feel like my mom raised me to be strong, and I did learn that. I mean, you learn through loss and through difficult times. And I think sometimes you learn life's lessons from the most amazing places. Hope said, you know, I think God put me here to teach people things. I said, what? 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 You know, she said, yeah, because my brain's pretty big. So I think I'm supposed to teach people things. I said, sweetie, you are going to teach people things. We were in the hospital. It's like after midnight, she's blurting that out. I'm like, was that real? What just happened? Did she say that? It's like learn from our kids. And all we have to do is model. We don't have to teach anything. Just be you. Be you or be a better version of you and then learn from them. Absolutely. Wow. Well, Hoda, I just have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you to be Southern? (laughs) it's a warm hand on my heart. It means that I found a place where I fit. It means that I can slow down. It means that I can be open. It means that I can hug anybody I want. That's really it. People see me coming. I don't know if they like it or not, but you know what? 
Who cares? Here I come. <laughs> There's a hug coming in. Get ready. There is. Get ready. Well, Hoda Kotb, thank you so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. That was fun, Sid. You're the best. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Hoda Kotb. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuitsandjam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. 